tell you everything, but, but I ain't got a whole lot to go on. Who do you think that is there? Good morning. Uh, good morning. <laughs> uh, we're here a week later. <laughs> yep. Is it exactly one week? I think it is. Um, Something like that. But I think it's six days. It's been okay. So we're doing a little, little better than anticipated. All right. Yeah. So one week after our previous uh, recording session, um, because life happens. Yeah. So how you been this past week? Um, I've been all right. I've been uh, watching like the Twin Peaks episodes. Obviously, I've been watching through the Oscar nominees for this year. Nice. Uh, Nice, nice. Yeah. I'm a little behind, but I'd I'd recommend drive my car in Coda, and would recommend against Don't Look Up because it's a giant piece of shit. Oh, what? You didn't like Don't Look Up? No, I fucking hate it. That you hated it. So shit. Suck I shit. hated it. Oh my god. Oh, that's another podcast. I I liked it. Okay. <laughs> what didn't it, you like about it? It's trying to be like a dark comedy and a drama, right? And I don't think it's very funny and i don't think it's a very good drama i um i wasn't like laughing out loud per se but it was like the kind of comedy that is just more like i don't know it was like that watching a car crash happen in front of you type of comedy which is like doesn't always do it for me to be completely honest like it's definitely a kind of movie that i wouldn't normally like on paper i didn't expect to like it going in i will say that yeah i just it it thinks it's the smartest movie in the world. I think that's what really bugs me about it. It, it thinks it's genius. I think it's and trying to do that, really. I could see how you would could see it that way. How you, how it could come across that way, though. Like mm-hmm. it might be the kind. It might be the kind of thing where it just hits you one. You know, like it hits one. Per, like hits some people one way, and it hits other people another way. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like indiscriminate as to how it's going to actually, you know, like do it for you. Cause I, I could totally see that honestly, like yeah, on another I, day, I probably could have gotten the same takeaway from it. Like there's like a lot of really talented actors and most of them don't really seem like they're putting in their all. Mm. Um, I like Jennifer Lawrence. I'll say she was good in it. She's a really um, good job. Yeah. They, her and uh, Leo, I thought had, Pretty good chemistry too. That was kind of. I didn't think Leo was that good in this movie. It was fun. I thought he was good. I thought it was actually really good. Uh, and I thought I, the two the of only... them, the two of them together, I actually thought were were did a, did a really like they seemed like they were having fun, you know, on screen. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio being attracted to a woman over twenty five just isn't believable well, for me. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> a lot to unpack there. I'm sure. Um, Coda was good. I liked Coda. I, yeah, it's nice I've and seen, chill. Um, Nothing like, yeah, yeah, really. Not, it's just a nice movie. Um, yeah, so 
so far I've seen uh, Dune, Don't Look Up, Coda, Drive My Car, and I'm watching King Richard today. I, nice. I watched the first half hour of it last night. Cool. I'm liking King Richard so far. I thought Coda was pretty cute. Pretty cute. Um, I Coda loved cute. Dune. I yeah, Dune was so so for me. I I thought it was pretty pretty well done though. Um, <clears throat> Coda Coda's funny because it's getting like so much attention, and I did think it was quite good. And the acting was great. Cast is great. Like it's a great movie. It's just funny to me how like at the forefront it is. Um, I also just want to comment that woman um, who I should probably know the name of. There's probably things I should know. Uh, hold on one second. Let me just look her up. So the woman from Coda, Marley Matlin, um, which I had to Google, but uh, Marley Matlin is the, like the mom, you know, the deaf mom. And mm-hmm. she is in an episode of Seinfeld that we watched last night. Uh, which was hilarious and unexpected. She's the tennis, uh, she's the deaf uh, tennis ball woman that Jerry dates. Uh, you're a Seinfeld fan, right? You, you watch Seinfeld. Um, I, I've liked the episodes that I've seen, but I don't really know anything. Oh, okay. I, for some, sorry, I, for some reason I randomly thought you were uh, in, <laughs> like, a, a fully in depth or something with it. Anyway. It's before my time. There's an episode where... Yeah, there's this deft uh, tennis, uh, like, ball person uh, lady that he's dating, um, and it's her. And also, I always recognize her in stuff because uh, she plays a deaf woman in uh, um, The West Wing. Um, mm-hmm. And The West Wing was, like, a really formative TV show for me uh, growing up. And so, yeah, I remember every it's one of those shows that I grew up with. And like, you know, every time any actor from that shows up in something as you grow up, you're like, oh, that's the person from that, the West Wing. Yeah. Uh, whenever I see Kyle MacLachlan and everything, it's just uh, uh, Dale Cooper. Oh, yeah. Oh, He's yeah. in the show. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. I will say his new look is, is very it's helpful and like, you know. Dividing him out from that, like his kind of, you know, his more Versace kind of yeah. older guy, like the the nicer glasses. Um, also, I don't know what this is about, but he was on the Today Show with Kate McKinnon the other morning. Yeah, he's uh, doing the Tiger King show. Got it. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Kate McKinnon's funny. Uh, oh, no, she's a, she's wonderful. No, I'm just it's just the it's unfortunate they're making a show out of that <laughs> i don't know I get, you gotta find the work where you can get it i don't blame either one of them yeah no they're they're both i was like i saw them both and i was like what i was like are they doing something together that's that's funny yeah well that's cool movies yeah movies are good but you know what i like Te- what television oh, love television television shows in particular television shows like uh there's a show called twin peaks you ever heard of it uh no I haven't heard of it. No? What's it about? Gosh, you, I guess before, again, before your time. Um, the old movie man made it. A movie man by the name of David Lynch made it. Uh, oh, yeah. He did uh, Dune. Right. He did that Dune movie like so much. Yeah, with, with Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, right. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's great. The, the kids love him. The Gen Zs mm-hmm. love him. Um, yeah, so I guess you want to just launch right into d- discussing... Episode two of Twin Peaks. Yeah, 
usually, like, we'd have some sort of starter question before the episode discussion, but last oh, week we went yeah. over time. So, yeah, we're just going to go straight into rewatch discussion. Yes. Yeah. And I guess we should say welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome to, yeah, welcome the, to the podcast. Um, <laughs> we are a um, we're based out of the Twin Peaks Discord server, which is associated with the Twin Peaks uh, subreddit. Uh, all unofficial, but we have a good time over in the Discord server and we're currently doing this rewatch. Um, and if for some reason you aren't already joining us for that, please do. Um, I am, uh, Steve. My username is Am I Right, and I'm a moderator there. Uh, my name is Sarsha, and my name on the server is Nikki Grace, but on other places online I go by Daphomet or Blue Tomorrows. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so we're, yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about episode one last time, and our plan this time is to go through episodes two, three, and four. Uh, mm-hmm. hopefully so to, to try There's to get a lot us, to cover, a lot to cover, get <laughs> us caught up to the rewatch in the server. And then, um, yeah, hopefully if all goes according to plan, maybe we can start getting some guests in next time and, uh, yeah, yeah prompt them with what you were saying. Um, so yeah, a lot to cover, like you said, but, um, why don't we jump right in and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, we've all got our notes here at the beginning of episode two. What's a dream? We live inside a dream. Uh, so yeah, um, episode two. Uh, there was a big time difference in shooting this between episode one. I think like a year. Okay. Between this and episode one, so yeah, everything's just a little bit different. Everyone's playing their characters a little bit different, I think, for the better. Right. Um, yeah. Pretty yeah. typical for the kind of pilot. So Yeah, mm-hmm. so we're starting to see the production values of the show proper. Yeah. That's true. And um, first thing we see in this episode is Cooper, right? Yep. Cooper's hanging from, Wait, the, hanging from the door from his gravity boots. Yeah, just... Uh, what are gravity boots? Gravity what boots are, they're like these braces you put around your ankles. They're big, like metal things. They they padding in them. And then they have like hooks on the back and they are basically mm. for hooking you onto something and hanging upside down. They're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I've used weird, them. I have um, used gravity boots uh, before <laughs> in, a, in a video I did, uh, in my job and I've, I've hung from the ceiling and from gravity boots. They're not the most comfortable thing in the world. Not the boots. Yeah. The boots are not the problem. It's the act of fully hanging upside down. It's not not super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what strikes me about uh, Cooper that I kind of noticed in this opening scene is he has like so much charisma and this good dynamic, but just with a tape recorder. Mm. The role of Diane in the original series is kind of weird. It's kind of just, oh, here's a way for Cooper to say exposition to the audience. Yeah. It just, but it's also like, Kyle puts a lot of personality into it. It's written with a lot of personality for Cooper that you know there's some history between him and Diane. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know if I just fought it. Mm -hmm. It informs, I mean, I think it informs like, it's a good character informative moment, I guess, like Cooper... Put, kind of puts his all into everything. You know, he doesn't like he doesn't he doesn't go half measures with 
with anything. It's right a great device. This, uh, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. such an, I mean, yeah, the tape recorder thing is, you know, it gets talked about a decent amount, I guess, but it's like, it's a great device for just lots of things. It's yeah. It's an exposition. It's character development. You can do anything. If you just have like mm-hmm. two minutes to just have this character go off into his tape recorder, it's like, yeah, it's like can serve any purpose for the story. It's pretty, pretty smart. Yeah, and um, right after this scene, uh, Cooper meets Audrey, right? Yes. Um, is this where he uh, finds? Oh, oh, never mind. Sorry. Yes, he meets Audrey for the first time. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a little mm-hmm. turned around because we've just we. <laughs> this is now right. The episode yeah, two. We're, we're a little separated from this episode. That's okay. It's yeah, not and super recent. In our see, he like meets up with Audrey in the next two episodes at the beginning too. So right, this is the first time he meets Audrey. Uh, mm. And uh, when he's getting his freshly squeezed grapefruits. Yes. C- Cooper and Audrey is a weird dynamic. I, I like it, but it. Yeah. She's. The whole time I'm just thinking she's too young, right? <laughs> and it's kind of distracting. How old at is some Audrey supposed to be in the scene? I believe Audrey? she's I think she- 18. 18, okay. Canonically. Okay, not 17. No. I thought there was it's some point is it that she okay anyway whatever so she's right she's she's 18 and right she's just coming on strong and he's like playing off of that right like it's like mm-hmm. it's what's maybe interesting and slightly uncomfortable at the scene is that he's like he's not really like backing down and, and being like oh this is inappropriate. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be uh, speaking to me in this way. I'm a officer yeah. of the law. You know, he's just like going uh-huh. along with it. He's going with what she, cause she's, you know, he's giving her quote unquote, what she wants, or at least what she's expecting. Um, and whatnot, even though he knows kind of like what she's doing and, you know, kind of gets a kind of sees through that a little bit. Um, right yeah. Off the bat. Um, Audrey is kind of weird in the pilot. So I'd say this is kind of where we get to see the Audrey that we'll get to know for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. And Because um, you were like, commenting like you were that saying, she was a little detached the last episode. Uh-huh. And um, the thing about Audrey is she kind of always gets what she wants, right? Mm-hmm. And But for some reason, that's kind of like a good aspect of her. I, I, I can't really explain it. I guess just what she wants is good. Yeah. I think Cooper uh-huh. recognizes that right away, too. Because like it's yeah. like you know she's never, yeah, like she's never man- manipulative without cause. You know it's like, um, and yeah, I think Cooper kind of see. Yeah, I think Cooper respects that quality for sure. I think that's kind of like why they get along. They kind of both get what they want all the time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're similar in that way. Yeah, yeah. It's like he knows how to not judge that book by its cover and kind of see the cause behind some, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the like the motivation to strike the character behind that. Yeah, yeah. I think he sees that pretty clearly, and is and that's maybe why he feels comfortable sort of engaging with her on this like flirtatious level at first. You know, it's obviously he draws some lines later on, but it's like, you know, he he feel. I think it's like he feel it's like they can get along on a platonic level. Yeah. They're both very much naturally curious characters. Yeah. And I mean, that was 
Not done on purpose very much. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, like, not to mention he probably sees that she could be an asset. I mean, she's pretty much immediately engaging with the case and, like, you know, despite her kind of, like, using it as a tool to sort of get information out of him. Like, the act of her coming to him and trying to get information out of him, I think, is probably what he's actually really impressed by, right? It would have been very easy to write Audrey as just the sheltered rich girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they don't really do that. They give her a lot of character. They give her a lot yeah. of her own style. Well, they go the extra mile. Mm-hmm. It's like, what would a sheltered rich girl would be, it would be, it would be aching to kind of do something with her life, you know, mm-hmm. especially yeah. at that age. So, yeah. So they talk, they, um, they make, they make friends. They, um, what's the end of this conversation? Trying to, well, whatever. We don't. I guess we don't need to get through beat. By it's beat, been but, a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. So they 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 uh, get introduced, and we obviously see a lot more of them later. Oh, I was gonna say like, oh, we can get into that later. I was curious if you thought there was like a this. This was the beginning of toying with a with a romance idea, uh, despite oh, everything I- we kind of talked about. Now we're let's talk a network level for a second. Yeah, I- I'd say. Absolutely, this is starting to set up the at least planned Cooper Audrey romance. Right. Um, the way they interact with each other, like they're both naturally like nice people, but it's uh, for me at least, it's clearly flirtatious at least on some level. Yes. Um, it's funny. Maybe not even consciously, right? Yeah, I mean, it is totally, and it's funny to me how like, I mean, to me like it's the wrong fit. Right. It's like this is just the wrong will they won't they to have going on in the plot. Um, And it kind of stops pretty quickly in terms of like entertaining in terms of the show, entertaining that notion, you know, that they could get together or this or that. And it's like it's funny that to me it's so off base that like even I think the first time I watched the show, I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's not really going for this. (laughs) <laughs> he is he is uh, playing her naivete and, uh, it, you know, is not like it's clearly this guy, you know, is not interested in 18 year old girls. Um, some theorists out there may may say may say otherwise, but I'm not a subscriber to that. <laughs> yeah. First of all, she's 18 and that's why I don't like it. Um, yeah. But it's also for me, at least I, a couple of times, at least early on, they kind of just write her as like a more sheltered, like girl version of cooper um where i think cooper a a romance subplot for him would need to have someone who's like different than him has a different life than him yeah which is why i like annie later on um yeah yeah and yeah in a lot of ways i think they're just too similar which it would be a good thing in a real romance but uh, on tv it's just not that entertaining they will make great friends yeah Okay. Platonic. We're going to talk so much about Audrey in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can tell. She's all great. right. Um, so, yeah. So they've got, they have their breakfast. And then there's, after the breakfast, there's the James interrogation scene. Oh, is that? Um, At least that's what it. Goes oh, on okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, that's true. Yes, because they so they're back in the sheriff's station. Uh, Doc Hayward reads off his <laughs> autopsy. Um, 
barely gets through it. And then, yeah, they're interviewing James and um, mm-hmm. and his forehead, his accomplice. Now, the, the great thing about this scene, um, or rather the terrible thing about the scene, is this is one of the only flashback sequences in the series. Yeah. Um, where we get to see Laura and James talking to each other. Oh, and God damn, they it's have no chemistry so, at all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But they think they have the most <laughs> chemistry ever. Yeah. That's so like, oh, I want to shoot, shoot everybody watching It that. feels so weird. It feels so weird. Because they, they never do it again. They all baby talk and like, um, yeah, but you know, though, that that's actually, you know, that's how they were all the time. That's mm. the thing is like you, you look at Lara and the way she kind of like baby talks people like, you know, because she does that to like Bobby every once in a while. And she's kind of does it in some side scenes and fire walk with me, you know, when she's kind of trying to like she puts on the right face for the right person. And so it's like to know that James and then seeing how James is, you know, with women across the series and how lovey dovey he gets. It's God. It just must have been like freaking bathing in cotton candy being around those two. I hate, oh I hate it. <laughs> I'm so glad we don't have to see it any more than this. That's the it Black Lodge. It feels weird. It's so weird. Um, yeah, that's the Black Lodge. It's just when they're um, around. Uh, yeah, so doomed to fail couple. Yeah. Pretty funny. We, we do get to learn a little bit about Laura in this scene. And like, there's an implication from James that like she wanted to have her secrets. She liked having her secrets. Mm-hmm. And it... I'm glad that that's there before the weird flashback that like it's trying to say like oh this isn't what we see isn't the full Laura and it's crazy that like in episode two they're already like setting up these themes that would be like really really expanded on in Firewalk with me Mm -hmm. and we don't at this point we really don't know much about Laura but they they do a lot to make her an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to bring myself back to like when I first watched the show and kind of what, what I got. Yeah. Like who, who did I think Laura was like three episodes or two episodes in? I mean, I guess, yeah, you kind of get it right off the bat. I mean, they just kind of, they flesh it out and they continue to build out the texture of her over time. But yeah, I think it's right off the bat. You kind of get this feeling of, like you know, you know what happened because it is supposed to be that it's supposed to be relatable, right? It's like you're supposed mm-hmm. to have known a Laura Palmer. Yeah, everybody's known a Laura Palmer is kind of the yeah the idea. So right, so I mean, I guess Cooper and Harry are just kind of making the rounds today. It's a day in the day in the life. So now they go mm-hmm. to talk to Pete and Josie. Um. They get a nice hot pot of fish coffee. Um, yeah, the fish caught. Co- oh, my. OK. The fish in the percolator. The fish in the um, percolator. Can we? There's stuff before that I want to talk about. Like, but now that you mentioned okay. the fish in the percolator, that is like it's such a great moment because it's so There's stupid. Fish in, in the, the percolator. percolator. In the percolator. Now, it's such a weird joke to include, and it's very much like a David Lynch joke, where it's just, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, now, there is one thing I want to say. 
yeah. that this piece of slander and lies that's been spread around that Catherine was the one who put the fish in the percolator. She, and that is not true. Who do you – okay, then explain it. The fish just landed in there. That's why it's funny. From all right? where? Listen. He, he I, I implies – look, Pete thinks it's Catherine. And I trust Pete. When does he imply that? Later in the episode, he says when they're on the bed, when they're in the bedroom, which is actually a great scene. And I want to like touch on, uh, but like when the in the bedroom and he's got his boots up on the bed and he's like, and they're just chatting. And he's at some point he says like, he's like, somehow a fish made its way into my percolator. And he was like, he's like yeah, staring I, at her. And it's like when they're jabbing back and forth at each other, he's, he uh, thinks it was her. I, I think that's just how Jack Nance talks, man. No, I don't think that's an implication. That's it, big. It, like, no, it's totally an implication. It, that's a big, right after this, right after this, we see Catherine and Ben having their affair. So she would have had to yes. get a fish, put it in the percolator and then leave. Right. Yeah. And then in that, in that scene you're talking about, she complains, like, why do all my clothes smell like fish? And that's when he says, somehow a fish got in the percolator. So it's, why would she make her own clothes smell like fish? Look, I think that, well, both can be true. Um, oh, oh, wait, maybe Pete took a fish and rubbed it all over her clothes as revenge for the fish in the percolator. Uh, I don't think Pete would do yeah, that. Uh, I think he would. I think he would. He's not in a good place with her. Like he was. He's he's putting his. Okay, listen. I want to. I want to. Uh, we're talking about this conversation now because this scene is great because uh, it's they're so bitter against each other, Pete and Catherine. But like, it, you can. It's like I think they're. They, they, you can tell they were like a couple that used to be in love. You know, like, Pete, yeah. and later we see a lot more of that, which is, thank. I love that they do that, which is like, yeah, you can tell that Pete and Catherine used to be, like, madly in love and were, like, really good for each other, you know, and just, like, life has happened and Pete's still a down-homey, simple guy and Catherine's got, like, these big business dreams and is also kind of manipulative and shitty, but, like, she's also a boss and, like... But yeah, they're playing it like that. And like, but then Pete is nasty in that scene, man. She, she's like, she's like um, saying stuff and he's got the boots up on the bed and he's like doing the oil thing. And she's like, she, oh, she like snaps at one point. I think she's like, get your boots off the bed, you bubbling blah, blah. And then he like takes the boots off like slowly. And he's like, I didn't want to get mink oil on my bedspread. He's like walks out of the room like he's not he does not like her. He's yeah, meaner. I, he's they, mean to Catherine in a way he's mean. He's not to other people. So that's all I'll I'd say, say about that. He isn't that mean to Catherine. Not mean. Other than like he's, he's salty. A though. couple instances. He, he's, yeah, he, he acts completely differently with her. Like that. He, he's getting more and more tired of her. That's the feeling I get. Oh, I think he's like, her, like bullshit. Ten, 10 years deep. You know, like, I, I think he's, like, been there, you know? Yeah, I just, I, I, think, I don't I, think she put the fish in the park. I think this is I a whole subplot. I think this is a whole subplot that's there in between the lines. 
we need uh the missing pieces deleted scenes we of Catherine really orchestrating yeah. the percolator we really do um well i mean it's a great mystery of the, it's it's one of the great mysteries of the series i guess yeah um, it's a show get, about mysteries when you boil it down when you, if you boil if you boil down who, who put the fish who put in the, the fish in the percolator yeah how are you gonna say it just fell in there what that's, are you talking about from that's where that's the joke that that's david lynch humor all right it just the, no, the fish but it's just funnier fell in there. when it hopped you... out of the river and went in the percolator. <laughs> just hopped out of the river. Okay, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, all right, well, without coffee, they do a little interrogation. Um, I I always notice that Josie's dialogue is more more great, like character choices. Whether it's happening from the actress or the or the script, I don't know. But like uh, the way Josie talks in like catchphrases sometimes is super cool. It's like the, it's like I get the feeling that it's like something Josie has decided on as a tool to help her learn English faster. Like, it's like, Oh, these are like phrases, you know, like she, she seems to fixate on these phrases and use them a lot. And sometimes she uses them incorrectly, which is also funny, but she most of the times uses them correctly. So she uses like, uh, something she said that stuck on my mind, you know, um, stuck on my mind. I feel like that's weird wording. Is it not like, yeah, I, I get what you mean. You know what I mean? But yeah. So, um, and then she says, uh, like we didn't have a heart to heart on it. You know, like it's like, she is using these little phrases she's heard. And is it's, I just think that's cool. Cause she's constantly, obviously she's talking about learning English from Laura. So I imagine, you know, this at some point in her English learning process became part of how she, uh, this just super incredible detail. <laughs> Josie is an interesting character. Josie's She's crazy. The, the thing about the whole Catherine, Josie, Ben, Pete subplot is I, I like it, but also at the same time, it feels completely separated from everything else going on in the show. Yeah. And it's like the it's weird. political town level of the plot, basically, mm-hmm. which sometimes can be a very meandering, like have a very meandering connection to like the quote unquote main plot. I, I get what you mean. Um, I, oh, I did right. want to say before the Josie percolator, all yeah, that scene. Sorry. We do get um, what? Well, we get two scenes I want to talk. First, there's Donna and James like talking about how they love each other so much and mm-hmm. it. Uh, it, it, she's like Don is like oh like when I'm around you uh, I don't even feel like I'm I'm real like I'm so it's Gosh. like honey that's dissociation your friend just died all right you're not in love um, and James is just like this so <laughs> yeah James is just like that all the time don't get too excited um, but then the much more important scene to um, Twin Peaks as a whole is um, when Norma and Nadine meet in the par- department store. Um, which I don't know if we see that set again, but I- I'm glad it's here because we get to hear about her silent drape runner tech. And uh, I-, I love Nadine, man. Nadine's the best. Cotton balls. Cotton balls. It- it's weird how Norma and Nadine kind of have this silent hatred for one another, but like she still wants to brag about her cotton balls. Yeah. You know, yeah. The Norma and Nadine thing is complicated. It's like... I, I do, you know, Ed and Norma, everybody loves to root for Ed and Norma, but, like, I feel like there's 
some stuff to unpack there. It's like this fucking guy has been pining over another woman for like what, like fifteen years or some shit. Like how since long they is, were in high school, since they were in high school, and they just they're just stuck in this perpetual state of like, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, we can't, oh, we can't, like. What the fuck, Ed? <laughs> yeah, I think, like, the official, like, explanation is Ed and Norma were a couple in high school. Right. They had a fight. They broke up. They both rebounded to Hank and Nadine. And then they just never got to back together. I I feel bad for Nadine. I really I, I, do. That's clearly not the, like, real intention. It's but really I feel fucked so up, though. Because it's, like, it's really fucked up. There's no way to... I, I don't care... <laughs> If, mental, if Nadine's slightly mentally unstable sometimes. Like, Ed, you need to make a call. Like, if that's yeah. if that's the situation. Like, Ed, are you being abused by Nadine? If so, that's a whole nother conversation. You know what I mean? But, like, we are we, that is not what we are shown. So it's like, uh, uh, barring that happening behind the scenes or something, like, Ed's kind of being a little shitty. Yeah, uh, I... We will talk about, like, the secret history of Twin Peaks later, but just the whole Nadine, like, Ed, like, story, how it's told in that, yeah. I hate it. It's my least favorite part of that book because it just oh, really? demonizes Nadine for everything. It retcons Nadine to be more in the wrong, which just takes mm. away so much of her character. That's weird. And, like, it basically just say she is deeply mentally ill. Um, I think she it says she's yeah. bipolar. I think she is chronic depression. Right. It's and Ed. Well, first of all, they play it for like humor, which is like a whole other right. can of beans to unpack. But like Ed is just that, playing it for humor is fine. Like I actually have no I have no <laughs> problem with like using like like I have, I have no problem with like using disability in humor. <laughs> you know, like it's it can be a way of having great characters like everybody does goofy things sometimes you know what i mean like including humans who don't you know don't have you know have any like intense disabilities or mental illnesses or whatever like crazy shit happens in all walks of life right so it's like to kind of like have nadine you know be behavior be part of like some lighthearted you know jokes and stuff it's not so much that because like what is also shown about nadine is that she is driven she's an extremely high functioning person and like actually like this is high functioning people have these problems you know like i mean high functioning mm -hmm. like type a like really focused like people who start you know who are driven to start businesses you know like uh, that are like People who invent shit, like inventors, like it, it makes complete sense to me that Nadine has this like super eccentric personality that that borderlines on men mental illness because it's like it's part of the deal. And so it's like to show her like in all her glory like that, including kind of like, you know, when things can, you know, like it, the whole thing. I just think that's what makes her so great. And so, yeah, to to like I, I have. I haven't read the secret history. Um, so I'm interested in seeing what you're talking about, because I think the show does a good job of balancing that where it's like, yes, Nadine's funny. She's like loud, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you look past that super thin surface, there's this incredible character that also, in, right. in the plot has like started a business, had this extremely consistent focus on executing that one goal, um, make substantial steps, 
forward in that at multiple times in the series. You know, like she invents the runners. They're totally fucking mm-hmm. silent. Yeah, they are. And then she's a story. She lady. did it. She did it. They, she is going to be rich. She isn't like crazy. So they wasn't Dude. all talk. She really made silent drape runners. Dude, when she pulls those drape runners, I, I don't hear a fucking thing. I don't hear a fucking thing. Totally silent. Completely silent. Oh, man. Where do you go yeah, from but, there? Yeah, but just like back to like yeah, what, 10 minutes ago when sorry. we were talking about yeah, Ed and Nadine specifically. Because mm-hmm. I think Nadine clearly loves him. Right? But yeah. I don't think Ed loves her at all. I think he and loves it, her, but it's like he, he's got, yeah, some issues. Yeah, he clearly loves this other woman much more, and it, it yeah, it's sad. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. think he he stays with Nadine because he doesn't want to hurt her, I guess. Yeah. But like, divorce is hard. Staying with her hurts her more. That's what's kind of create. Like that's the thing about the whole situation is that like Nadine mm-hmm. could handle being dumped. Like she'd be fine. Hashtag justice for Nadine. Yeah. Fucking crazy. She was the victim. Oh, she has one of the best plot lines in season two as well. I can't wait. Oh, I hate her in season it's two, so but we'll cross it's that road so... when we get there. Her and Mike. Mwah. I hate it. Peace to resistance. It's so it's funny. Cre- it's, it's the creepier. Best it's creepier than Audrey and Cooper. I don't Yeah, but like if you it. just purely view it as a comedy bit, it is just the best. It's so funny. It's we'll, so funny. We'll cross that road when we get there. I don't right? consider it canon. I mean, that's the best part is that it's all fucking it, – it all takes place in our heads. So you can't – yeah, we, we'll get there. If we're going back to like chronologically, the last place we left off was um, Fish and the Percolator, Catherine and Ben. Well, that's OK. I mean I think from there we kind of – I mean you know – they talked yeah. to Josie. We sort of skipped forward, I think, anyway. So uh-huh. I think we're um, – I don't have any other notes here other than sort of like yeah. bleeding uh, up to the end. One thing I do want to talk about in this episode and like the pilot that I don't think I touched on is just uh, just early on in the show, um, Mike, as in Noir Mike, is just ch- chilling, doing stuff in the background, walking around where he's not supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I just wonder like – why did he go to the morgue? Uh, I was wondering that as well. And I think somebody in the chat uh, may have mentioned why. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why he went to the morgue. I think he just, wherever the mystery is, he goes. Um, that's my best explanation for it, at least. Okay, I have have found something that I think might refer to whatever comment I'm thinking of. Uh, It might be related to the ring. Oh. Might really be related. Might be him going to see if she has the ring. Yeah, that. that Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That's a very good explanation. Right, because this is right afterwards, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Like, I. From what I remember of Firewalking Me, I don't think she ever gets it taken off after she dies. So it should still be there. Wait, so when is this uh, canonically? Is this before? Um, 
when Mike goes to the morgue, she's only been dead for like a day. Right. When does that happen? Is that that's in the previous episode? Is that uh No, she goes to the morgue in episode 2. Okay. But that that's after but but Cooper and Harry have already done their stop by by this point. Yeah. So but like they would have found I, I, the ring. The ring is probably just in an evidence bag somewhere. Okay. That's a satisfying enough explanation. Yeah. Something with the ring. Mm-hmm. Some ring shit. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's, there's your best. Yeah. Probably best guess there. He's just going around doing errands. Just doing errands. Yeah. Clean up. Mm-hmm. It's like, whew, job's over. Putting in his invoice. <laughs> uh, I have more Audrey notes. You have more Audrey stuff? Yeah, I have more Audrey notes here. I, I totally forgot. All right, let's get it. Let's get into it. I don't really have much else except um, that it's really fucked up when they play the rodeo music when Leo has the soap in the sock and is like swinging oh, yeah. around his head. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did want to say that Leo and Shelly, that like subplot is just like terrifying. It is. Because it feels like very real. And yeah. also, I think it just kind of sucks to be a woman in Twin Peaks. It does. Um and we Which get to, might just be we get to step in and see the abusive dynamic in its on full display so it's just mm-hmm. everybody looks like a villain like a complete you know and they're just like getting away with everything yeah yeah I, I do want to say people. saying that it sucks to be a woman in Twin Peaks is not me saying that like the plot is sexist or anything like Lynch is one of the few directors who tortures his female characters for an actual like purpose um yeah. i do think just it being a sucky to be a woman in twin peaks is just kind of a reflection that it can s- sometimes be sucky to be a woman in america yeah and so yeah but yeah le- the whole leo shelley subplot is terrifying and i don't know why they played the rodeo music um <laughs> i think it's just a fucked up joke like i mean you know yeah. not, not a joke to make light of it but a joke to, of like this is what yeah, this is this is how Cavalier Leo is with. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so there's two more things. Um, actually, three more things I want to talk about in episode two before we move on to episode three. Um, one is Audrey, and mm-hmm. how Audrey has kind of like changed since episode one. Because in episode one, I think she's just kind of like an asshole, but here, um, it's just kind of like playful mischief, mm-hmm. you know, and um. Ha- I talked earlier about how it would be easier to rate her as, like, a sheltered rich girl. Um, And they do do that, like, a little. But, like, instead of, like, just being, making her an asshole like she was in episode one, it kind of just reflects in how she does not really expect there to be consequences for any of her actions. Which makes her an interesting character to hang out with and see what she's up to at any given time. Right. Or it's almost like she's ready consequence it's almost like she craves consequences because mm. she's had none <laughs> yeah 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 it's like she's like oh my gosh my existence sucks um i believe it's also in episode two near the end where cooper gets to meet the log yep yep oh um, man i has anybody ever I asked her can i ask her about her log then he have <laughs> Oh, she's so great. She's so great. She's great. <laughs> she's great. 
I, I don't really know how to explain why the log lady is like such a great character, but because she's a producer for the show and makes the whole shit happen. That's why. Catherine Coulson is yeah. More than just the log lady, too. That's that's so crazy. Twin Peaks is kind of just like Dave Lynch being like, hmm, let me give my best friends all the good roles of all the <laughs> nice characters. Yeah. Very Catherine Coulson gets to be Obviously. the yeah. perfect character. And Jack Nance also gets to be a very nice guy. Yeah, it's Catherine really funny. Kyle McLaughlin gets to be a very nice guy. I'm looking at a picture <laughs> of the log right now, and it's very situated. The, the two little branches on it are two little arms. <laughs> they're like Aww. two tiny little <laughs> are they're very symmetrical it's pretty funny it's a very nice log yeah it's a very nice log um well she has good taste very nice lady very nice yeah. log yeah i mean um i think that pretty much i mean it, it almost does it for this episode except for the uh the dinner at the end that also kind of makes me want to shoot myself because it's just so sweet and awkward. This is James and dinner, or James and Donna dinner. Yeah. Uh, James randomly comes over for dinner to the Hayward house, where everybody's <laughs> dressed up for church already, apparently. Uh, and it's just so funny. It's so awkward. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really awkward. That I, I do have some things I want to say about James. Is like it, he's a very dull person. Yeah. And I, I, it was on purpose that he's supposed to be this kind of like stupid, like <laughs> weird guy. Boy. He's just a good boy. He's just a good boy. Um, one thing that does strike me about his character is I always forget that like Ed is his guardian because he never like spends yeah. time with Ed. Do Ed and do James and Nadine ever talk in the entire series? Yeah. Um occasionally i mean only only as much as they need to for the plot i guess but like he calls yeah. her aunt nadine a bunch of times um yeah. so it's a it's yeah there's a dynamic there yeah it's weird because like they're supposed to live together <laughs> uh it's i'm unclear yeah i'm unclear in the exact i think it's just that like he just trusts james and knows that he's a wanderer and and ed's a light touch you know it's like he knows how to let, let a boy be a boy and, and not, yeah. you know, not a, yeah, you can't, you can't contain James, you know? Yeah. James is just too extreme. He's too extreme. He's got to ride. He's got to go. Anyways, um, I think that does it for episode two. It does it for episode two. Um, just end the episode with a little, with our red herring Jacoby psych out. And oh yeah. <laughs> there's uh, there's so that. much. Jacoby red herring in like the early early episodes. Yeah, there's a big focus on Jacoby for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. Um, next is episode three. Episode three. Um, this starts with um, meeting Jer Bear. Jer Bear. Uncle Jerry. And a fan. Yeah. Nice long, drawn out <laughs> opening shot. Family at dinner. I breakfast. love it. Uh, breakfast. Sorry. They, the thing breakfast. is, they do not strike me as a family that has a family breakfast. They do, apparently. Yeah, and I, I don't know why. Well, um, that's I think that's why Ben walks out and is like, always a pleasure, because it's probably something, <laughs> uh, what's her fa face is like, the, the mom is like, 
She's probably like forcing them to do it all, you know, out of kind mm-hmm. of a, this is something they should be doing as a family, even though they don't connect on any other level. Yeah, they, they, they don't talk like at all. And then Jerry comes in and men's like, oh, my God, my brother bought me, brought me a sandwich. This is yeah. the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I think they I think they absolutely do have a family dinner every morning and it's just purely performative. And uh, yeah, Jerry, he's a. What's his deal? <laughs> he's a weirdo. <laughs> he's a little goober. He's a weirdo who is just le- has attached himself to his brother I mean, I'm not a big fan of calling people freeloaders. I think a lot of people try their hardest in life. But uh, I think Jerry Horn's pretty close. Um, the brie and butter baguettes look really good, though. Yeah, I was. Wa- I, we were talking earlier about how like seeing actors and different things and immediately thinking of that. I was, yeah. not too long ago, I was watching this 80s movie called The Warriors. Yeah. And Jer- Jerry is in that. He's the guy. And, um, yeah, he's the Warriors guy. It's, it's it's so hard to not see him as like Jerry, <laughs> yeah. but like he's just as a like actor. He, he I feel like he's kind of like typecast as a villain, and he's got that. He, face, we see it around, you know? mm-hmm. yeah. he, he's just kind of like has a slimy like sense about him that like you feel like he's gonna like betray you, rip you off. Yeah, he has like snake oil salesman vibes. I guess I mean, I would he say. seems to really like chewing on the character too. So. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Warriors is uh yeah, that's a classic. And I think I mean, I guess yeah, he was probably known for that for a while before uh before this before this thing came along. It's just it's funny. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see the Warriors till till long after Twin Peaks as well. The thing about um Ben in these early episodes is he's at least up to this point, he's still like being portrayed as like unambiguously like an evil guy like he's the evil businessman he runs all the evil shit and later on we get to see that he has like more sides to him and he is a little bit sympathetic later on but right now he's just the worst Mm -hmm. yeah he's pretty centrally in business mode and is uh Mm -hmm. pretty much building a, a little mini uh, sex trade in the city in the town. I mean, yeah. he is he is cycling women through the perfume counter in his department store to for hiring at One Eyed Jacks. So yeah, yeah. Him and him I like and Blackie have this like Jeffrey Epstein, Jelaine Maxwell vibe. Oh yeah. Um, which yeah, it, it, yep. It's it, happened. It makes it harder like later on to feel bad for him, even though they do like. They do a lot to make you feel sympathetic right. towards his life. I yeah, I want to talk about Ben Horn a lot in in this podcast because I think there's a lot to unpack. Um, I don't I don't think it's meant to be a redemption story as much as it's supposed to be a like like a this is how you sit down and shut up as a powerful person story. You know what I mean? It's like it's not about. Ben Horan can't really be redeemed. Like, if you really think no. about what he's doing here, it's like, it's irrede- it's it's irredeemable. Yeah, really, totally. it really is. Um, and there's there's a similar discussion here to be had about like Leland too. It's like that whole thing. But like, um, so in in Ben's later periods in the show, when he's right, and he's developed more, right? It's like, I mean, it's like at the same time. It, like, there's a history behind everything, right? 
So I think it's like yeah. it's more about like here's a story about a guy, uh, y- you know, and everybody also has emotions. So it's like even if you do something irredeemable completely, um, you know, maybe you don't get redeemed, but it's like here's a way you can continue to exist without hurting more people. Yeah. You know, and like and in the sense of Ben being like, quote unquote, a better guy by the end of the show, it's like I, I kind of view it as that, you know, it's like I, I, I think Ben's character story is one of the best in the entire show. Yeah, totally. It's so crazy and well, it's just well told. So I, I love Ben. Ben's great. He's awesome. Yeah, it's like it just and the act, whatever the actor's name, I forget. But uh, um, I, should have I a, forget his name. Should really put a list of actors. I know he's uh, big into transcendental meditation, just like Lynch. Huh. Pretty close because of that. Nice, nice. There's that connection. Bringing his buddies in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the brothers, they go to One Eyed Jacks. They check out the new girl. Um, I like how when Ben leads Jerry around the corner, this starts his first line of dialogue is Leland's daughter was murdered and the Norwegians have left. <laughs> and, then, and then Jerry's like, they left? <laughs> <laughs> and Leland's daughter was murdered? And, and did you say Leland's daughter was murdered? Um, and then he tells Jerry he's got a 50-50 shot at trying out the new girl and then, and then when they get there, Ben ends up being with her. It's just, oh, yeah, Jerry. It's, uh, Jerry, Jerry, despicable. Jerry. So, yeah, great, great scene between Ben and Blackie. And they do the whole one-eyed Jacks thing. Afterwards, we get to see uh, Leo and Bobby's drug deal go wrong. Wait. <laughs> amateur drug deal. I, I love um, in this scene... I don't know if it was an intentional piece of humor, just but just Leo's entrance into it, like where like it's so dramatic. Leo's, he has like his flashlight hilarious. He's <laughs> hiding scene. behind the scene. Cash of delivery, like, Bobby. Cash of delivery. <laughs> he was just waiting there with that <laughs> locked and loaded. Like I'm thinking, like how long was he standing behind that it's tree? Like, okay, so so I'm gonna turn on the flashlight. I'm gonna t- no. First, I'm gonna say cash. No, no, no. First, I'm gonna turn on the flashlight. Then I'm gonna put it up in my face and say. Cash or delivery, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I don't know what they were thinking when they don't have the money to get it. These, I know. It's like, yeah, I, I actually feel bad for Leo kind of in this situation, to be honest. Yeah. This guy is trying to do some business. He's got these amateurs. I mean, he, he, he's an asshole. But in this specific situation, he is the one being wrong. Oh, yeah. They're just coming up like, oh, yeah, we don't have the money. We're going to have it. We're going to something. And like he says, like, oh, Laura was a wild girl. You should have predicted this, which eh, I don't know. But I know definitely in a lot of situations, Leo sees himself as a victim, even when he's not. So, yeah, it is kind of hard to for him to see him as a victim when he actually is. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a line of dialogue that Leo makes here when he's like, uh, you know, he starts intimidating Bobby. He's like, yeah, you find out your, you know, your girl's been giving it away. He's like implying that he knows uh, mm-hmm. about Bobby and Shelly. And like, and then he says, a man's got to have a clean house. 
So there's like there's this constant cleaning thing with Leo. Yeah. And I think that's got to like go deeper into some themes. I mean, I think it's a character thing for sure, but I think that's got to like be some kind of a more like that's got to be referential to some of the bigger themes. Right. It's like like maybe Leo's obsession with cleanliness is like part of some bigger concept that Lynch has going on in a way. Mm hmm. I think Leo is useful as a character for just kind of expanding the characters around him. Yeah. Um, Cause like at this, at this point in the series, we don't really have any reason to feel anything for Bobby. He's cheating on his girlfriend. He's kind of an asshole, but like when you compare the Bobby Shelley pairing to the Leo Shelley pairing, he's like, when you kind of start to think, hmm, maybe Bobby isn't that bad. Maybe he's just, kind of confused teenager i mean but yeah bobby's a kid just like shelly right any shitty decision bobby is making is at like clearly clearly out of the kind of desperation whereas leo is like a yeah established older drug dealing man drug dealing Mm -hmm. sex man who like is not a good guy to be with yeah yeah and um who actively terrorizes shelly and yeah yeah after the drug deal um i do have in my notes that i i I wouldn't forget this i would forget this if it wasn't here but we get both um you stepped on my drape runners um Mm -hmm. glorious and also we get to see invitation to love invitation to love introduction to invitation to love like how nadine's like she's like (laughs) yes i put them out there (laughs) it's like i'm he's like i'm sorry they're right in the middle of the floor she's like yeah they were that's where they need to be. That's a point. That's how you make drape runners. Oh my god! And you don't understand me. God, you're so <laughs> stupid. You make me sick. <laughs> yeah, this is the only scene at which she could maybe maybe uh, viewed as semi abusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, She's uh, yeah. anyways. Uh, invitation to love. Yeah. Um, this is. Very much like it's been like discussed. This is strictly a Mark Frost edition. Okay. Um, David Lynch hated Invitation to Love, and that's <laughs> why it never shows up again after season one. Oh, that's funny. Because like it, it, the Twin Peaks is a soap opera, right? We've discussed this, yeah. and then there's also this parody of a soap opera within the soap opera, which is kind of weird, but also uh, I think so Invitation funny. to Love is great. I don't know why Lynch hated it so much. It's a great little bit. Like, yeah, I don't I wouldn't I don't understand that either. If that's the case, because like that seems like exactly the kind of joke that Lynch would love. Like, yeah, I don't it's know. Funny, if, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. It like expands on like the themes and ideas of the show. Yeah. Like this is what we we're going for. And uh, yeah, I think Invitation to Love is great. Yeah, it's a great little gag. It just like adds a lot of texture. It's um. This is a random reference, but uh, you know the game Alan Wake. Yeah. Um, there's these references. Twin Peaks references in Alan Wake are well documented, but um, specifically in Alan Wake, they have their own show. They have their own in-world soap opera that gets played on random TVs like throughout the game, which is that's a great that's a great reference to not directly reference Twin Peaks, but to just go ahead and have your own in in world soap opera. Uh, pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And it's called something like invitation to love. It's, 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 it's yeah. Uh, just to show you how absolutely like 
jam-packed this episode is. Yeah. After this, we get some Bobby Shelley stuff. And then after that, we get the rock-forming scene. Yes. Yes. One of the most iconic scenes in the entire series. One of the most iconic, yeah, for sure. First, first of the first of them too. Probably it's like it's the first of the big dogs as far as just iconic scenes. Yeah, it's a very charming moment, and also like tells us a lot about Cooper and like his ideology. It's just it, it continues to. It always surprises me how just straightforward this show is in explaining mm-hmm. what it is trying to do. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it's right from the start, like this whole scene acts as a meta explanation for how David Lynch tells stories. It, it's like, yeah, it's like kind of a map for how they're going to go ra- about future situations. It's just, yeah, it's completely great. Yeah. Um, what, what does make me wonder about the series or the scene is, uh, how long did Cooper prepare for this? Because he gets this big blackboard out into the forest, <laughs> puts a map on it. All right. He, he makes all these plans. So he's probably got this. He's probably been working. He probably worked. He, pr- he probably pulled an all-nighter. You know, he looks a little <laughs> tired. He's get going for the coffee quite a lot. Uh, it's early. So, I mean, he probably got the chalkboard from the station, right? He, could, he probably got in early, had Lucy help him prepare stuff. Maybe Andy bring the chalkboard out. He probably had this Tibet map already. Maybe. I, I could imagine a, a little. Yeah, Andy, I imagine already had that. I need you to go to the Twin Peaks library and bring me a map of Tibet. Draw a red line around the territory. Yeah, yeah a lot of it, it seems great. There's just a lot of good little directorial moments, like when he starts, mm-hmm. when he flips over the board. It's a Tibet, and they all kind of lean in, you know? <laughs> I love that shot. It's, it's just like... like they're, they're like, like, all right. What the... F- <laughs> uh, the trust is so good. Yeah, and then they do the name thing, and it's all good stuff. It also acts as kind of a uh, kind of a recap of the yeah, show so far. I never far. really thought about it like that, but yeah, it does. Very functional. It's It flashes to pictures of the people's faces. That's very interesting. Um Another fi- the the one thing that this scene does that I don't like is the whole hitting the Jacoby bottle but it not breaking and it's like how much are you gonna expand the Jacoby red herring? I I, I think just this was enough. You don't need to keep going. <laughs> and like when you know it's not him, like even remotely, it's just kind of frustrating. I like how I'm too uh, like convoluted that part is. It's like it struck it, did not break. Lucy, remove one-eyed jacks from the list. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that man's personality is is, is a red herring. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the little moment where he throws the rock at uh, Andy. And uh, <laughs> Lucy's very concerned. I, I, I will say, I'm like... And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then Coop, and then Harry, with the, with the zinger, he's, he's like... When there's no where there's no sense, there's no feeling, right, Andy? <laughs> fucking yeah, um, savage. Out of all the like million couples in Twin Peaks, I think Andy and Lucy might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. They're, I, I think, just because I love Lucy as a character, she's like so great. Yeah. Um, they're they're an adorable couple. Uh, I love their little plots together and how. She's the only, she's the only one there concerned for him getting hit in the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
okay, so I I just want to when she wrote Jay or when Laura wrote Jay in her diary, mm-hmm. it was referring to Jacques Renault, right? Uh, meeting with Jay tonight. Um, I guess so. Because the bottle breaks for Leo Johnson. Yes. It's not a direct connection to the J. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's common throughout the show, too. We, we get those shifts of, the, you know, it's like the, the thing leads them to the correct answer, but it's mm-hmm. like that answer wasn't the original answer to that thing. Yeah. You know, like the bottle breaks for Leo Johnson, even though he's not like the specific one, but that sets them down the path of discovering what happened. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not much else to talk about with the scene, I guess. Um, except yeah. that it's incredible and that, that it's incredible. Um, uh, it, it's, it's great. It's just played super well by everybody involved and, mm-hmm. and, uh, serves a very key, just a key milestone in the story, I guess. Yeah. It really does that recap thing clearly. And then it sets you, sets us off in this Leo Johnson adventure, which sort of continues but we'll pick up that topic in episode three join us for the continued discussion in episode three of above the convenience store